Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Let's talk about uh, positive psychology, your favorite topic, and uh, relationships, my favorite topic. Yes, it's a, it's, this is the chocolate and peanut butter of what we do, right? So, and I just wanted to drop in a note about um, inclusivity and diversity, because I think a lot of times people hear those words, but there's not really a true understanding of what they mean. So diversity just refers to the facts that there are lots of people and things that make them unique. So not everyone experiences relationships or being in relationships the same way. And inclusion refers to the behaviors and social norms that make people feel welcome and comfortable. So as we're going down this rabbit hole, I want to make sure that our listeners know that we are aware of something called the binary, which is... um one man, one woman that's held up as the standard. And we're busting those doors open and saying, no, this is all relationships. However, you choose to experience relationships. Right. I love that you said that. And I think it's very topical today where um, people are having more conversations that are wider instead of narrow with when it comes to relationships. Oh, yeah. And and we have to. We have to. And, and we'll get to this. But, you know, thinking in terms of the binary of, you know, one person to one person and that one person somehow being a magical unicorn that can fulfill all your needs really puts people at a disadvantage. So much pressure, expectation, all of that. Yeah. Pressure, expectation, the whole nine yards. Um, so let's talk about how this stuff works. So we're going to take things that happen in relationships day in, day out, and then apply positive psychology to them so that we can figure out how to strengthen our relationships. Talk to me about your perspective on passion versus obsession. Ooh. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is I feel like uh, passion is holding and obsession is grabbing. Ooh, that's good. That's good. And I think that in relationships, uh, holdings, whether it's space or someone's heart or, you know, um, what they said, holding is what makes people feel safe and free. And grabbing is what makes people run, <laughs> feel unsafe. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of along those lines where my mind went to is passion is really open. It's something that can be shared. And obsession is closed and makes things very narrow. I love this. And I love the, the and sometimes it's a fine line, right, between passion and obsession. It can be. And hey, both are fun, right? You know, so let's not forget that in all of this, like it's fun and twisted. And that's why we like love. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes it fun. But I think, you know, passion tends to be long term, whether we're talking about a pursuit or a relationship or um, loving or how we do it. You can have passion for your kids. You can have passion for your partner, for your career. And then when you get obsessed with something, it's almost like you're chasing an ideal that you're putting that person or that child or that career um, on a pedestal. That's an unrealistic expectation. Um limerence last 18 to 24 months describe limerence 
Okay, so this is important. This is actually not coming from the world of positive psychology. This is coming from the world of neurobiology. And limerence is the period of time when folks first get together or fall in love, or I think this can happen when you have kind of like a relationship resurgence and you fall in love again. Esther Perel talks a lot about this. She said she's been married to the same person, but she's been in like six different marriages with that same person. And yeah, so it's an 18 to 24 month period where you're really in that like goopy love state. And what's noteworthy here is the role of serotonin. So your serotonin drops and that increases your risk-taking behavior. That's why, you know, you think that your person with the moon in the sky for you and you're kind of willing to do crazy nutty things. Yes. And the danger here, uh, and I've, I've experienced this myself, is we tend to chase the serotonin that we had uh, when we were younger, meaning, um, you know, when, when love hits when we're younger, because our hearts are just powdered snow, those imprints are so deep. And so a lot of times as adults, we try to chase that feeling, um, which can be dangerous because, you know, some of the times that, that feeling is not realistic because, you know, we're not 18 and discovering love for the first time anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so the, the behavioral marker here that we're looking for, no matter who you're relating to or how you're relating, is a feeling of losing yourself. Right. And, it feel, and, and that feels amazing, even though it's not healthy. It, it does. It feels amazing. And, and you know, I hear people tell me this and I'm and I'm sitting here knowing what I know about the brain. And I'm like, oh, there's that serotonin drop right there. And they're like, no, this person completes me. And I'm like, it's serotonin. Give it 24 months. You know, <laughs> like. Can you get addicted to this feeling? Yes, you can get addicted, addicted to the feeling. And that's where the, you know, increased risk taking behavior comes in. And that's, you know, when we're looking at humans objectively and looking at how they form romantic relations, historically, humans tend to be serial monogamists. And I think that reflects that addiction to the chase, to falling in love, to the new thing, to the rush, to the latest crush. Um, but in reality, if we're talking about passion versus obsession and how to use positive psychology to sustain a whole, healthy, happy, and fulfilled life, you need an entire web of folks, not just one, to enhance your existence and make you stronger in your relationship. Yeah. And I think that if you are um, not aware of this and you're just chasing the uh, the serotonin high, it could be the beginning of um, love addiction, you know, like a, actually just only chasing that uh, without actually building something that's sustainable. It could be. And, you know, it's, it's also that fleeting feeling of my needs aren't being met, my needs aren't being met. And so instead of looking at your life in a context of, well, what needs specifically? Have I let my friendships go? Have I let my relationships with my family go? Have I let my relationships with my work and my creative pursuits go? Have I let my hobbies go? So, you know, what needs aren't being met? And how can you look outside of your relationship to go back and make yourself whole? That's a really powerful question. Yeah, yeah. We know that so subjective well-being. Subjective well-being is just um, a baseline of, of overall um, emotional health. The number one predictor for getting to that state is having a variety of social relationships. 
Mm. Yes. So, I mean, hence, hence uh, the parentheses, all relationships in this episode. All relationships. Yeah. And, and even thinking about, you know, um, folks who live in and express relationships differently, like me, um, you know, that's, it's, it's a kind of like a built in way of looking at your whole context of life and saying, okay, well, what do I, what need is not being met? And rather than turning to a person who's probably overburdened with my needs, how can I look outside of my relationship to get those needs met? Yeah, you know, I think that we're uh, generally in the world uh, because love is so shiny and we've been, in, you know, injected with commercials and, and Disney movies and all of this, that we put so much weight and pressure on the intimate relationship and we neglect other relationships like friendships, um, you know, relationships with coworkers, uh, other partnerships. And so then we're putting all our chips on finding, quote unquote, the one or putting it, investing in that, that intimate relationship. And I think that pressure is just it's too much and if you don't find that kind of relationship that you're that you want or expecting then you you drop you know you 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 can get depressed or feel that you're less than because of that very much so and i think another important thing to highlight is when we're chasing that that feeling of excitement that we've come to characterize as romantic love you can experience it platonically with other people within friendships what are your friends guys what are your friends have you ever had a friendship experience where you meet someone and it's just like an instant love fest. It's totally platonic, but you're like obsessed with each other. Absolutely. You know, that's when you uh, have coffee with someone um, and, and then you and I go on a lot of business meetings and sometimes it turns into a two hour conversation about life and, and love and whatever. And you're like, wow, I, we didn't even talk about business, but I really connected to this person. And suddenly there's, a, there's an authentic friendship for me. And when you leave that space, you feel enhanced. Oh, yeah. You know, this is one of the biggest things um, I've discovered in the last decade is when I was married, I had no friends. I thought friends were pointless. I was all about, you know, just me and my wife. I need to go build something. I need to make money. What's the point of friends? Friends are a waste of time. And I was very alone. And then after my divorce, um, man, I found so many friends just through fitness. And I have my, you know, my guys that I ride motorcycles with and work out with. And then I've got my other friends I eat crepes with and talk about feelings with. And I've learned in the last decade, you, it's not even, it's not an option. Like you need friends. And if you have a lot of great friends, it only enhances your relationship. Yes, 100%. And, and I, and I really, guys, if you're listening, I want you to start thinking about, how you can get your needs met from different friend sets. So like, John, do you mind if I pick on you for a second with your friends? Pick on me as much as you want. That's why I'm here. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So thinking about what I know of your awesome man crew, right? Um, you guys are obsessed with each other's bodies. Uh, uh, yes, maybe. Okay. Yes. Come on. Come on. And doesn't it like, doesn't that feel good? It does. It does in a healthy way, you know. In a um, healthy way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, making each other accountable, doing workouts. Uh, my friend Jeff is now doing a marathon. My friend Andy climbs rocks now. And so um, always keeping that um, uh, conversation going. And you egg each other on and you compliment each other. And well, so I mean, they pick on me, they bag on me. But yes, yes, in a way, it, it is love and compliments at the end of the day. It, it is love and compliments. And, and so, and you're getting that 
that attention on your physical body that might, that I think traditionally as we're growing up, you're like, oh, that should come from a lover. But here you have this built in great group of friends that are filling this need for you. Right. And I didn't even um, think of it that way. Right. And, and if I didn't have them, my relationship with my body would be very, uh, I'd be doing it alone. You'd be doing it alone. And you might be bugging your partner who's like, get away. I do yoga. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then you put, um, you know, a black light on that contrast or that mismatch. And then you judge the relationship when you could have taken care of all of that with friends. Exactly. We were there. Passion versus obsession. Getting your needs met from multiple people. Social relationships is the greatest predictor of subjective well-being. All right. Next one. Forcing positivity. Yes. Don't so, wait for positive emotions to just happen. No. And, and I think that's where people get stuck. So we live with this thing called negativity bias that focuses our brain on that which is negative. But in reality, except for very extreme circumstances, most people have access to far more positive things than negative things on a regular basis. Yes. And when you say force, um, you're not saying in a fake way, right? Um, you're saying intentionally, you're saying make an effort uh, because our default can be negative. Um, you're not saying force as in like white knuckle positivity. No. And I'm talking about forcing the focus, mm. forcing the focus of your lens to shift from that which is negative to that which is positive, because you always have a choice. At the end of the day, when you're gathering with your friends or your family or who is ever in your life, you have a choice. You can bitch about your day or you can talk about the good things that happen. This is probably, um, although simple and, and easier said than done, this is probably one of the most important things that I've learned Um this is actually like everything to me because the old John Kim uh, default in negativity all day. I don't have, I'm not there. Someone's trying to take something from me. Every, every thought I had was worry, dread, self-protection and running. And uh, I'm still working on it, but these days it's very different. I mean, even when, you know, um, I called you this morning to do this podcast and you were like, how are you? Um, I'm sitting in my living room with no pants on like you looking at the, uh, <laughs> yes. the view and it's gorgeous in LA. I'm thinking about all the stuff I need to do today and I'm just positive and I was happy to hear from you. And it's a very different um, default than the old John Kim where I would have lied and just been sitting here, you know, dreading everything. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and it's so interesting when you have very long term relationships, because I knew you when. <laughs> and, I think you knew me in the, the beginning of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was different then, too. You know, I didn't have um, I was still really struggling with depression back in the old days. Um, my self-confidence was was significantly lower. And I knew that the, the gratitude and the positive emotions worked, but I really hadn't come to fully embody it in my life. And now both of us, you know, almost a decade later are substantially changed by leaning into the inducement of positive emotions. Do you think that is it? Do you think it's it, age is a factor? Meaning, do you think it's easier to practice positive psychology when you get older, or no? Um, no, I, I think it's awareness. 
I think it's awareness. If you're not aware of the science, if you're not aware how your brain works, if you're not aware um, that inducing positive emotions creates a chemical impact that changes your brain from pessimist to optimist, you you won't do it, right? So this is one of the reasons why we run our coaching intensive. This is why we shout this science from the rooftops because it changes lives. It changes the way you experience your life. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, you know, it's a practice and uh, it wasn't yesterday that I was was defaulting to negative. It was 10 years ago and it took me, man, so many years to uh, constantly be reminded and practice, uh, observe people like Noelle where, you know, uh, seeing the effects of positive psychology in her life. Um, and just, you know, constant everyday reminders, videos, audiobooks. It, it's, it's, it's a true practice. You have to do it like uh, the way that you eat, diet and, and then move. Very much so. And um, something that I read really recently that was so interesting is that, you know, we talk a lot about um, the very physical manifestations of what would be described as mental illness, even though I don't really like that term. So like depression, anxiety, um, in very great measures can be qualified as mental illness. The absence of mental illness doesn't mean the presence of of emotional health. Mm. They're two different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's important to be aware of that. Yeah. To be aware of it and to treat them separately that you can experience depression and anxiety and still lean into positive emotions to support your emotional health. And uh, the outcome of inducing positive emotions is um, cardiovascular health. It improves your heart functioning. Absolutely. So, and I, that's something that we don't think about as well. Yeah. So I want to run you through the top 10 emotions that give you this really almost nutritional brain boost that you can share in your relationships to bring everybody up. And that's the great thing about this stuff is it's contagious. I see, the, I see this as soil, you know, I see it this is. as, yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and in like, think about the way that this ripples and has just rippled through our own lives between the two of us, our little friend groups, our coaches, our company, like it's, it's endless. Sure. Absolutely. It's endless. Joy, gratitude, serenity, interest, hope, pride, amusement, inspiration, awe, and love. All higher frequencies. Yeah. And so love, let's stay with that for a sec because it's really important. Um, love encompasses all of the other top 10 emotions. Oh, interesting. And it is the most commonly experienced human emotion. And it is excited by the presence of others. Yeah. And when people say love, we kind of automatically think romantic love, but that's not what you're talking about. No, it's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, so you love, well, so if we're going back to the, the neurobiological definition here um, from Barbara Fredrickson, it's micro moments. Uh, love is a micro moment of an agreement for mutual care. I love that you said micro moments, because I think when we think about love, we think about like, um, you know, the, the grand, the big, the big ideas, the big feelings, um, the broad strokes, but yeah, it could just be in moments, you know, um, 
the the one comment, the the eye contact, uh, the moment w- when you feel something because you felt supported. Um, I think all of that is is was what really love is about. That they come in moments. Oh yeah, and and, and it's it's um, it's not just humans. Your pets count too. Mm, yeah, <laughs> more from your pets than humans. Yeah, but pets count too. And it's it's the taxi cab driver that, you know, genuinely told you to have a good day. It's, you know, the co-working space where you had a really cool conversation with that guy you didn't know that well. You know, love can be found everywhere and it builds us up. I just had an experience last night. Um, I was meeting a friend for dinner. I was on my motorcycle. Uh, I ran out of gas. And so I was at a gas station and the guy in front of me, and of course I was impatient. I was late. And the guy in front of me was so, uh, lighthearted and joking. He turned around and he was a stranger, gave me a high five. And it was only, you know, three or four seconds. But when I walked away, uh, man, it checked me so much because I was like, I want to have what he's having. You know, and it was mm-hmm. it was in those micro moments. It's a complete stranger, you know, and he, we were just at the gas station doing very mundane things like filling our vehicles with gas. But a stranger giving me a high five and smiling and he cracked a joke uh, for no reason other than that was the zone that he was in um, made me realize like, man, that that's really powerful. How um, moments like that, uh, the, the human exchange and how contagious that is. And it just made me realize like, why am I stressed out? Because I'm late to it. Like, what's the big deal? You know? And it just really checked me. That guy was probably freaking madly in love. His serotonin levels were were low and he was just like high-fiving everybody. Yes. Yes. And it wasn't fake. He wasn't like on drugs or anything. It was authentic. And I was like, man, I want to have what he's having. I wonder what his yeah. life looks like. And I was like, that's, that's the, the plane that I want to live on. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, following up on that is our is our last point. And it's it's honoring and using each other's strengths and and getting really grateful and intentional about it. So like if that guy was in a contagious mood and he was a friend of yours, you might have invited him out to dinner and been like, let's spread this around. Let's see how many people we can infect with this happiness bug, you know? Yeah. And I think and, that's, that's, that's now really powerful. Then it's bigger than you. No, oh, it's bigger than you very much. So, and the concept is working with yourself, not against yourself. You can get things from other people. If somebody, if your partner is in a great mood and you're in a shitty mood, you can decide, Hey, I'm going to join them in their great mood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think in a way that's kind of how we're all connected as humans, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, the practice of love, the power of love, um, how you can get pulled out of the trenches and quicksand just by someone's positivity and, you know, how contagious that can be. Yes. It's force versus flow. Yeah, absolutely. It's force versus flow to let the people in your life do what they're good at and celebrate them in the moment and then let your shit go. Yeah. Guys, as you're listening yeah. to this, think about all your relationships, not just your intimate relationship. And think about um, what you need to do to get some of that flow going, you know, um, whether it's uh, in moments or on a, on a, on a grander scale. Um, what do you need to do to live at that higher frequency and experience uh, those top 10 emotions that we we're talking about? 
the top 10 emotions. And, and I have to say, you know, they're all absolutely wonderful. Playfulness, serenity, interest, hope, pride, inspiration, awe. But what I have found to be the most effective when we're really drilling down on the relationship itself is gratitude because it, sh it shifts the emotional template of how you experience others. Um, and I have a pro tip. So voicing your gratitude is really important. And if you want to deepen your current practice, it's, it's, a, it's a linguistic um, trick to shift from an I statement to a you statement to really center and honor the person that you're expressing gratitude for. So it's the difference between, so say you're up, you're working on a presentation, um, you're tired, you're cranky, and your partner comes home and cooks dinner. How awesome. Instead of saying, thank you for cooking dinner so that I could finish my presentation, which is probably a normal thing to say, to go a cut deeper, center the other individual, once again, you stepped in. You are a kind and thoughtful person. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, it's um, also more personal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's personal. It gets you out of yourself. It gets you out of your head. It focuses on the open heartedness of giving to that other person and really recognizing them. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. What a uh, great reminder. We did that at our team meeting to close the year out. Yes. Yeah, that was really well, powerful, actually. Wasn't that yeah. powerful? Well, because, you know, we, you never get that in the day to day life. You don't actually um, sit in a meeting and people going around the room telling you what they appreciate about you or what your gifts are. Um, that's not common language, which and I think it should no. be because I felt the power in that. It, it And it, it creates intimacy, um, it creates trust. And when you're getting out of yourself and really looking at this other person and saying, wow, you bring something to my life, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Vanessa or Andy or Jeff, like to really say like this person brings something to my life and you feel less alone, you experience less fear, less scarcity, and it frees your brain up to function at higher levels. You know, it takes courage to do that. It takes um, um, dissolving of ego. It takes um, so much. And I think that uh, vulnerability, you know, to actually say, hey, this is how you make me feel. And this is what I love about you. But man, if there's one takeaway from this episode, guys, if we can do that more and spread that fire, then 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 love will, will, will definitely grow and flow. Yes, I love that. Well, anything else? Nope. I think, I think that's it. I'm, um, I'm feeling the happiness and love bubble zooming around. So I'm going to bop off into my day. Thank you for the reminder, Noel. And guys, remember, this is not, um, it's not a light switch. It's not something that you, you know, just accomplish over the weekend. It's a lifestyle and it takes a lot of time. But if you, if you do this, and I know from just personal experience, man, my life is so different. And it's not because of things I have. It's because of this kind of stuff that I've been practicing more and more and, and still continuing to do and realizing that uh, this this inner work is what's changed my life, not what's on the outside. Yes, awesome. All right, thank you guys, be well. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. 
If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.